Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. And we've also got the help of, well, someone who's jerked more tears than Boris Johnson's had children out of wedlock. It's Essex's answer to Jackie Collins, the fabulous <laughs> Emma Robinson. Hello. And uh, you've seen him. You've seen him reporting for ITV News. Now he's reporting on tomorrow's bestsellers right here, right now for you. It's Andy Dickinson. Litopians, report to the Genius Room right now. Genius.litopia.com. Yeah, we had a few complaints about the um, uh, the the bodice wear there, but I think I think I think that it's sort of working out quite nicely for most of our genius room. Um, they are, of course, right at the heart of what happens here on pop up submissions. There's a thing that it's always happened. Publishing always does this, but it does it in the dark in those smoke filled back rooms. And now here we are, live on YouTube. We must be insane doing it in public for your benefit. So, this is how the situation is looking this month. In third place so far is Santa Baby, middle grade fiction from Terry Lowell. And second place is last week's winner, Dextra, from 17-year-old Ella Miller. We're terribly impressed with it, I think. What mature writing it was from you, Ella. Uh, but still hanging in there. Well, actually, quite a long way in the lead, with an impressive 71%, is Matthew with his picture book for children in hospital. Um, as you know, if you were watching last week, uh, we announced a really exciting new collaboration with the UK publisher, Head of Zeus, whereby each month's winner, we don't know who's going to win this month yet, each month's winner will go straight to them for serious publishing consideration. It's your new alternative route to being published. With over 100 worldwide number one bestsellers, Head of Zeus is a formidable British-based publishing powerhouse. Independent Publisher of the Year, Digital Business of the Year. The awards and tributes keep rolling in. Now, Pop-Up Submissions has partnered with Head of Zeus to find tomorrow's best-selling authors. Each month's pop-up winner will be fast-tracked straight to them for their expert consideration. We know writing is never easy, but now Pop-Up Submissions makes it easier for you and your work to find a great publishing home. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, we know, uh, let me just show you actually, because ahead of years have already discovered several really, really great writers through pop up submissions. Let me just, um, yeah, there we go. Well, there's Emma there. I don't know what Emma's doing there, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we can never get too much of Emma actually, particularly teamed as she is today with her wonderful flowery uh, wallpaper. But there you go. You've got Mark with Argo. You've got Nabil with The Hunter's Walk. That was actually, that is actually a uh, penguin book. And you've got Tim with The Serpent King, again, from Ahead of Zeus and some very, very nice comments there. Let's get straight on with today's first submission. Here's from James. It's literary historical fiction with romantic elements. How great that is, because Emma's on the show today. She knows all about that. And it's called The Romantic Soloist, and this is the blurb. Dr. Zhivago meets the pianist, 
a passionate, poetic, lyrical, and achingly beautiful love story between a poor, aspiring, but genius concert pianist and a blonde aristocratic goddess set against the backdrop of the Russian Revolution. That sounds quite exciting. And let me just tell you, before I tell you um, about James, there's not much uh, that James has disclosed. Um, let me just tell you, one or two people have said, well, you, uh, this is all kind of a put-up job, isn't it? Because, you know, you've all seen the submissions in advance. No, actually, that's not true. I see the submissions in advance. Emily does, who's our submissions manager, obviously. The person who narrates them does, clearly, because they've got to do that. But other than that, what you're seeing is live, completely unfiltered, raw reactions from our special guests, and particularly from the Genius Room. And that, to me, is, is such a precious thing, actually. Uh, I don't know any other sort of feedback that writers can get on the internet or off that's, that's as good as the Genius Room is. So let me tell you about James. It's really just one sentence. James Lennon has been writing for 30 years and has an MFA in screenwriting. Simple as that. Direct, straight to the point, James. You need a narration that is fitting to your biography and your writing. And it's from Kate. The Romantic Soloist by James, read by Kate. Playel definition, a French piano beloved by Chopin for its gorgeous, soft and sensitive sound. Moscow, 1916, one year before the Russian Revolution succeeds in removing the Tsar, in the pink days before innocence was a thing of passion. 1. She was his Playel, a Playel for the soul. She was a pink Playel to him, and when she musicked him, all was well, until the music haunted the empty well of his soul that he could not fill with the piano or the syllables of her pretty mouth that once and always sang more than he could intone the piano to kiss and tell. And sometimes he could make the playel speak like her, like his goddess would, when the ensemble of love and their swelling bosoms dwelling as one, entwined in that sweet miracle of touch that when it felt its love's honesty, they tendered an outside soul, so that in a bid for that infinite sum they presented a priceless resignation to the soft powers of the heart, for the goods and merchandise of passion and love. Then was heaven leased by hours that seemed too short, all this mused him as he played the piano in the concert hall of the famous Moscow Conservatory, as he abused and played the piano within the piano, his soul. Even when he played to the emptiness as he did now, he was always a salesman of dreams and love, for although when he did sell himself by his curved fingers to others, yet he still would not buy his own tender, which was a cruel master. How do you feed that sweetest idol, music, to fuel a jump from the piano to the stars via his playing and back again, and not lose yourself more and more in the transaction, so that when you were spent you were nothing, and realised the endeavour would be dearer than your own soul and cost at least as much? She was there, but yet she also was not there, 
And although he could go home to the Schumannoff estate in the country and make love to her in that favourite tryst spot of hers, where the blanched blankets flapped in the wind as the sun bathed them in the obad and glow of its heat that could not compare to the sun in her hips or the hot paradise between her legs, he needed her to frustrate his flame, to engage him in the fire he required to ignite his other desire, to be a genius pianist extraordinaire in the same interstellar magnitude as his idol, the master and star pianist Anton Rubinstein, who taught at the same conservatory where he now played the playel at this precise second, the Moscow Art Music School. As he played the vocalise by Rachmaninoff, she hovered above the piano in her heartstrings. Yes, her. The piano was a she, and with every tear or bead of sweat poured to worship this bittersweet idol, he sought to wring out of the piano strings the very soul of melody, like Chopin struggled to do when he composed his most lyrical poems for the piano. He was so close, yet so far away, which was the story of his life. He was good, the music was good, but it felt so bad, like a soul trap or killer or a soul stealer. It wanted all, and maybe Kalinka's disembodied gorgeous body that was fused with it was a mere semblance of this succubus. It drained his spirit, his mind, his body, his loins, so that at the end of every day there was less and less of him, and he wondered if he had to expend so much now, how much would the piano ask of him when he was a master's level student or a master? What would it ask of him then? And would he be able to oblige? Would he despair of life like he had heard others had when humbled by their greatness? They collapsed under the sheer titan weight of being a colossus. Nikolai escalated to the climax of the piece, which left him hungry for more. And when he finished, he was famished. And, as often he did, he didn't eat, but tried to do what he thought Beethoven would do, to put it all into his music. OK, now then, this is going to be an interesting one for Emma, isn't it? Let's, before we do that, let's just pick up one or two things that the uh, genius room is saying. Um, oh, gosh, where do we go? Where do we go? Eva says it's poetical. Uh, vagabond. It hasn't really worked for her at all. Uh, I hate to say it, I'm finding this very boring, she says. Encore, too overwritten. One or two other people have been saying that, overwritten. I think, I think um, was it, yeah, Alexa said purple prose as well. Um, Kate, who is our narrator, and therefore always an interesting point of view to, to, um, to get, says, reads like a pastiche of a 19th century Russian novel. I guess that's true, but people like that. Um, people do read 19th century Russian novels. Um, Annie says, very poetic, um, but I'm zoning out. Nothing's happening. Prize is working against the author. Uh, Peter, Peter Driscoll says, I guess I agree with that. There is something there. But I wanted it to be more grounded. Right. So I can't think of a better person, actually, than our fabulous Emma. 
Tell us everything that you can you can you know about this, Emma. Right. Go okay. Fabulous. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going to take Kate's point first, actually, that she just said. I just scribbled the, that down. That it's like a pastiche of a 19th century Russian novel. I yeah. love 19th century Russian novels. I'm a big fan of Tolstoy. I love Dostoevsky. But I think what they do mm-hmm. and um, this writer has not done is they intersperse sections like this with a lot more clarity. Mm. I found myself getting lost quite quickly. Um, Craft I found quite difficult to mark because clearly there are sections in here that are lyrical and no one can say this person hasn't got a huge vocabulary. However, for me, in a piece that's about music, I want to see that musicality in the writing. And for me, you bring musicality to writing with with punctuation and sentence structure. And this is pretty much... apart from about four interrogative sentences the rest of it is really long sentences so it it has no rhythm to it and i think i mean kate read beautifully she did such a great job but i think i'd want to see in terms of craft well in terms of craft i want to see different sentences in terms of plot and story i still from the blurb or the writing i have absolutely no clue what's going on if i'm really honest well it's music and i think i think vagabonds so there's sex in there somewhere so it's a bit essential and so look, i mean let's i just want to ask you this this crucial point i think because this kind of goes to the heart really of this genre so this is it's it's unashamedly unabashedly romantic it's romantic so when some people say, as they are saying in the chat room, purple prose over it and so on, doesn't that just go with the territory? I mean, doesn't isn't that criticism really why I just don't like romantic books? No, I don't. I don't think it. Do- I mean, I do think, like I say, elements of you know, you can have some beautiful phrasing. You could even indulge yourself with a whole long paragraph like this, but you can't do page yeah. after page of it without just yeah. losing people. Yeah. Uh, you know. So so really, I would. My advice to this writer would be, this is lovely for a first draft, go away with a big pair of scissors and kill your darlings yeah. and actually find the story underneath all of that. Because I'm it sure was. it's there, yeah. but we can't see it at the moment. Yeah, you know it, always, but we can't absolutely. see it. That's great advice, I think, Emma. Um, I just want to say also, James, don't, uh, you, you're describing this as literary historical fiction with romantic elements. That's a very, very long genre. Lose the literary, will you? Because it doesn't really turn publishers on. What it, what it usually says is you're only going to sell 500 copies or something like that. So let other people say if it's literary or not, but don't don't sort of describe it like that. Because it, you know, the aspiration is very limited if you do that. Uh, you need to modulate the tone. I've written down otherwise it's too monotone. Um, and a number of um, number of people have said we just need more story, actually. And I, I, I I need a lot more story too. Andy, is this your cup of tea? This is not my cup of tea. Okay. Um, I have to say, I think, I think Emma and yourself and the, the genius room, I've, I've already got this covered with everything you said. I've, I've much more to add. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote florid, and, and, and it's not a word that I enjoy writing down. It's not, not the kind of prose mm. that I enjoy reading. I mean, there was, there was some... You know, in the blurb, I think you mentioned a blonde aristocratic, uh, aristocratic goddess. I was excited at that point. You know, yeah. but, then, but what are you well, actually I was, I was excited at the swelling bosoms, actually, but then that's probably just me. 
you know, yeah, there are four of them apparently. So, I mean, your definition at the top, I wasn't really sure about how that fit in. Obviously, when we got to that opening sentence, it did make some sense. But I think you're taking a risk really early doors with something like that, to be honest. When you're you're gambling on your opening sentence having to be explained by what you've written above, it's almost like you're... You're, you're, you're slightly putting yourself on an intellectual pedestal above the reader already. I'd, well, I'd say there's a there's a, a fear of that anyway. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's overwritten. Lots of pro, prose, not much clarity. I definitely got this sense of cloying, obsessive, passionate love that was coming through uh, thick uh, and fast. Uh. So, so you've achieved that, but it's just too thick. It's just, it's just you're, you're spreading it on too thick. I need to know who these people are. I need Great to get comment. some sense of plot. It was so yeah. earnest. It was, it was, it was just open for parody. In fact, yeah, you could. Yeah. You only need to go one step further, and we would have been in parody. So, yeah. I would, yeah, not my, not like I say, the genre is not my cup of tea, but it wasn't successful for me. All right, that's, that's, that's a brilliant analysis. Thank you very much, both of you. And of course, I just say again, our guests don't see this in advance. This is instant reaction. Very good comment on YouTube too, there too. Thank you very much from SM Worsley. Um, so we're looking at the moment, uh, James, at a 45, solid, but not um, not threatening to our number one cha- um, position at the moment of the month. Um, poetic, definitely poetic. You can write, but you know, you just, you need to incorporate those other elements that um, Emma's been talking about. Should we go straight on to our second submission? I think we should. And here we are. Now, isn't that strange, actually? The thing I noticed straight away is that um, the author of our first submission was James, James Lennon. And look at the title. Hey, look at the title of the second one. This is synchronicity in action. It happens so many times on pop-ups, almost every week. So <laughs> the, the author of the, the first submission is shaking hands with the title of the second one. Amazing. John Lennon, Spirit in the Sky. And the genre is spiritual nonfiction. Oh, that's interesting. It was a huge genre a few decades ago. Um, I'm just happy to get any nonfiction on, actually, because we don't get much nonfiction. And I really do like nonfiction. I cut my teeth on it. So great. I'm excited. There's a QR code there, too. It's from Elena. And this is Elena's blurb John Lennon never died. This book is about life, his life, love, peace, and magic. It's about the signs and symbols he uses to speak to the living and the lives he had before he was John. It's about the amazing way he took over the hearts of a new generation and the way he still influences fans old and young today. It's about a simple fact that will blow your mind. I like it when you do that. I like it having my mind blown. Let me tell you about Elena. Uh, my name is Amy. Okay. <laughs> have I just blown your cover? <laughs> I think I have. Sorry about that. Well, you wrote it down here, so I'll just read it out what you've written. Um, I'm a musician, mother, author, and my home is in the Midwest USA. When I was 18, I heard Imagine on the radio, and it forever changed my life. For years, I felt a deep connection to John Lennon and many times dreamed of him. John amid a heavenly landscape of purple sunsets and rolling green hills that go on and on. John just being John. He once told me, he once told me I was pregnant. Two weeks later, I found out I was. 
That's amazing. Uh, this connection has been unexplainable but precious to me. Wow, how interesting that is. Uh, obviously, you need a unique, powerful reading. We're going to ask Robert for it. John Lennon, Spirit in the Sky by Elena, read by Robert. 18 going on zero. It was the sweltering, shimmering, long-ago summer of 1990. So long ago that it now feels like a watery dream sequence in a Scorsese movie. An 18-year-old version of me raced down the road in a dark maroon scratched-up Chevy that I bought working at my local Walmart. My best friend at the time called it a boring lawyer's car, and it did have that appeal, aside from a few exceptions. The radio was stuck on one channel, the air didn't work, and the ripped faux velvet roof lining hung down to tickle the top of my wavy auburn hair. Vanilla ice blasted on the radio, wrapping a mock version of Queen and Bowie's Under Pressure. And even though I knew all the words, the song did nothing for me. Life, so confusing now, was a mixture of bittersweet. Sparks of joy came and went, mixed with the heaviness of a future unknown. That spring, I had graduated from high school with a music scholarship, yet still had not decided on that major, or if I even wanted to go to college. The idea had haunted my thoughts all summer, at home and while working. Fear catapulted me toward pessimism. If I tried for a music degree, I might fail, so why try? Life was a vicious cycle, a hurricane with everything spinning in the middle. I could work retail all my life just to play it safe, but even that, I knew, was a terrible idea. I came upon a bridge and experienced a fleeting yet totally frightening thought. What if I drove over the side and ended it all? Hands gripping the wheel, I felt a shock go through the layers of my freckled skin. Yet this wasn't the only time darkness had descended shadowing all that was sound and reasonable inside myself. A difficult childhood still weighed on my senses, an abusive father who had nipped at my shell of confidence. Memories of those fragile and formative years mixed in with traces of despair. What if you drive off the bridge? A voice inside me said. No more problems. Then came a louder, more urgent voice. No, think! You must not do this. Face your problems and they will go away. I drove across the bridge to safety and took a deep breath. My hands shook at the wheel. Never again. Life was precious. A gift. It was wrong to think of suicide. There had to be an answer. Later that night, I prayed. Days later, I sat in a counsellor's office at the local college and registered for the fall semester. A few weeks later, school started. It was a pleasant surprise to find that school was not as scary as I thought. My first foray into adulthood. It was completely acceptable to leave class and hang around the campus courtyard mixing with anyone you felt a calling to. No more social cliques or years-long reputation to live up to. And I liked my classes, based around music. Much to my surprise, I felt happy. The shy, tongue-tied, nervous kid began to fade, on the outside. Inside, the insecurity lingered, though I worked hard to push it away. A boy asked me out. 
As his question lingered, words caught in my throat. I said no, feeling there was something off about him. But really, it was the insecurity about myself that propelled me to say no. I could hear my father calling me the devil, and my mother telling me I was too ugly to date boys. The next day, in vocal class, he changed seats and moved on to the next prospect. My heart sank to the bottom of the ocean. More isolation. Still, I had the studies which meant keeping busy and away from social activities. I also still had my retail job. But that titanic feeling, that deep-seated despair of being different and never knowing how to surface and breathe and exist like others, took over again. One day, on a whim, I dyed my auburn hair black, which surprised everyone. Then, even more shocking, I began showing up to work and school in a wardrobe of near-goth capacities. Looking back, it was another survival technique from my childhood, a protection away from the world. Black was my armour, my shell. I can proudly claim that I was goth before goth was ever cool. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure where to, what to think about this, actually. It's, uh, it's quirky. I love any, anything that's quirky. Uh, coming in, you know, a little bit off-center. Um, definitely interesting. Um, I, I was very uninterested in the idea of a sort of hagiography of John Lennon. But then suddenly it turned into a bit, bit more sort of Nick Hornby um, high fidelity, actually, um, which I definitely go for. So I need, I need the advice not just of the genius room, but of Andy. Um, listen, I'm not a massive John Lennon fan, but I have a friend who, who kind of came to his faith through his love for John oh. Lennon and oh. how he dealt with john lennon's uh, murder and obviously i mean mm. you know it goes without saying that john lennon's impact on culture is enormous and there are plenty of people out there who who absolutely adore him and i'm sure mm. would read a book with with yeah with him in the title the title itself does confuse me a little bit because yeah, me with too. my limited musical knowledge i don't yeah. think spirit in the sky was no. john lennon no it wasn't so i see was, what you're getting at but i'm not quite yeah. sure you're quite getting where you want to be yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then when the book starts, I mean, the, the obvious criticism of this is everyone said in the the, the genius room, I expect, is that where's the John Lennon? You know, we're, we're not seeing John yeah. Lennon in any of this. And what we're getting is is like your kind of well, you in a car. The the, the, the watery dream sequence in a Scorsese movie. I was a little bit like, well, I've seen quite a few Scorsese movies, and I'm struggling to think of the yeah, me too. dream me too. sequence that you're getting at. Um, and then when you were in the car, you were listening to Vanilla Ice. Two points where you where where you got me. Um, even though I knew all the words, the song did nothing to me. Well, brilliant. Yeah, I completely understand that. You know, um, I remember hating that song, but yes, of course, we knew all the all the words because it was everywhere at that time. And then you've got that being in the car and having that suicide temptation. Well, yeah, in my darker moments, I've I've known that as well. So there, yeah. there's some. Yeah, you're touching on some really raw, um, you know, yeah. kind of instinctual things that as a reader I, I like to get on and play with. But ultimately, we had you in the car, you listening to Vanilla Ice, your abusive family, your college, you being asked out by a boy, and your wardrobe. Hmm. We didn't, we didn't have any John Lennon. What you, what you've said in in your thing about the pregnancy in John Lennon, that is really interesting. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I like to read about that. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and you know, I have sympathy and interest for anyone's obsession with Lennon. 
your last line was great. I would have just started it, started there, and then start telling me about Lennon personally. That's brilliant. Thank you, Andy. Andy says, this feels more like a memoir. I think everyone agrees with that. Uh, the writing's nice. And yeah, actually, I agree, I agree to like this more and more. It's not... In my view, it's 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 not one thing or the other at the moment. I, I you know the world doesn't honestly commercially it doesn't need another John Lennon book. Uh, There's been so many over the decades, really. I mean, it would be a hard sell, I think. But you know, sort of an invisible uh, presence, John Lennon, in your life um, with a sort of a, a very quirky twist to it. I could go for that. I don't know if Emma could though. Yeah, I agree. Well, I first of all, I am a big. Beatles fan. My dad was a big Beatles fan. I grew up with Beatles music. Um, I've been to Strawberry Fields. I've been to stand outside the Dakota building. So I am a big fan. So I was quite hooked at the beginning. I really liked the last line of the blurb. I thought it's about a simple fact that will blow your mind. Hooked me right in. I was like, you're going to tell me something new about John Lennon. And then exactly as Andy said, I got no John Lennon. So, um, I think there's way too much in this first chapter. Way mm. too much. Mm. So t- there's lots of telly. You're telling me about abuse. You're telling me about the boyfriend. Exactly. I mean, I'm just repeating what Andy said there, really. Like, it's just too much. Um, yeah, start with the bridge. Start with going over the bridge. Tell me why John Lennon's important. You know, we, we need one big thing happening. You've told me in your blurb you're going to blow my mind. I want an f- opening chapter that's going to do the same thing. Mm. Um, and I think we got half. I thought genre-wise, I don't. If I'll hold my hand up and admit that I don't know what the genre that it, this is given. I've, I've not heard I'm of not that sure, genre I'm before, sure. so I'm I don't know. To, to me, in, in style, the first three pages were very young adult, very John Green, very kind of yeah. You know, maybe actually. you know that kind of you know that kind of feel, and I quite yeah. like that. I read. I'm a, you know I teach high school, so I you know I read quite a lot of young adults, so I quite liked that. And mm. then it suddenly went like that with this kind yeah. of oh and I've been abused and this all this crap's happened to me and I and I was kind of like well I don't really know where I am now with this book yes. so I think you know I think there's there's potential there obviously it's something that's really important to her and like and like and I think Andy said this with with the writers you know when you when you pitch you're obviously going to write a pitch letter that says this is why this book oh yeah that was the other thing i wanted to say jumping around sorry you saying about there being a lot of beatles books yeah one of the things i was told when i was first pitching is in your pitch letter why now why are you writing about this now? So yeah. if we suddenly had, I don't know, Yoko Ono decided, told us she was pregnant at 70, you know, something big happens, <laughs> then in the world, then, then maybe this would have a chance. But other than that, you kind of think, why now a John Lennon book? What, what's going on that would want that's, us to have a John Lennon book? a tough, tough question to, to answer. I know, it is, but it's a I'm, tough I'm, business. It, it, oh, <laughs> you're telling me, baby. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, sometimes you can answer that question. Um, but other times, the honest answer is really because the writer feels like writing it now, actually. And uh, yeah, but I mean, I think publishers who, who ask that are usually not totally sold on the on the idea in any case. Like, mm, why not? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure why. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is all looking really interesting. Let's see how you're doing here, Elena or Amy or whatever I should call you. Um, you're looking at a 52 there, which is not bad at all. You've kind of divided the, the, the genius room. Um, but I've got to say, it did grow on me, and I can I can see the quirky potential. The only danger is, as you know, I, I get excessively enthusiastic about stuff sometimes, and I do see the potential. Um, and I'm really, maybe I should just be marking what um, what I see in front of me. So, 
Very interesting to know how it continues, though. Thank you very much for that. Um, I hope we've been of some use to you, Elena. Let's look at submission number three, shall we? Here we go. Oh, science fiction. Excellent. It's from Peter. Who is knocking around there? Hello, Peter. You're omnipresent. Um, it's, um, it's called the Time Vortex Incident. Zin dash the Time Vortex Incident. There's a QR code there too. Go to wherever Peter wants you to go to, please. And this is Peter's blurb. After an argument leading to an accident, a bitter second-class spaceman in a pod is thrown towards Bindak 4. The thrusters seize up, and the only way to avoid being vaporised is to blow the tether. Blowing the tether is dangerous for the fabric of space-time, but he wants to live. His decision unleashes a time vortex that crystallises millions of aliens, and he must deal with the consequences. He's hunted for his great crime. As he tries to escape, he is brought face-to-face -face with... <laughs> oh, no. He'd been truncated. Kate is going big on your title, Peter. Just FYI. It's a good beginning. Um, so, yeah, the thing is that we do only give you a certain number of characters for the um, for the blurb. And if you look at the little submission on the on the website, there's a, there's a little countdown. Maybe it's not as big as it could be, but it's actually underneath the box there. And you can see it counting down from... 500, 700 to zero. And once you get, get gets down to zero, it will totally cut you off. So we don't know where your blue was going after that. Let me tell everybody about you. Aspiring writer from the land down under. So congratulations on getting up at uh, crazy o'clock to be with us live today. Thank you, Peter. My first work was historical fiction. Science fiction comes naturally to me, but I'm, I'm considering other genres, you say. I like to write about ideas, but ideas presented in the midst of action and drama. I tend to write a linear structure, but I'm interested in rich characterization and the psychological journey. Speaking of which, well, psychological journey? It's, it's got to be our Bev, hasn't it? Zin, The Time Vortex Incident, by Peter Driscoll, read by Bev. Zeleta sat with her charges under the glint of the last rays of evening light. It reflected off her scales as she reached out with a paw. They were outside in a natural amphitheatre. She liked to bring her young students here to feel the reality of the world. The surrounding hills were covered with thick fronds of Ruhan, and the dimming light cast the ridge lines in stark outline. She knew the shapes they formed from her earliest memories. This was her hometown, and these young broke out of eggs laid by Zin folk she knew. Come, gather round, my hatchling, she said. I want to tell you a story. The young Zin moved closer, using their four rear prehensile limbs. Two front limbs grasped their books. Visual scale patches peered eagerly. Zeleta calmed her colours to the warm mauve of the Ruhan. The story comes from an old computer that still orbits overhead. The computer is conscious now, but when it was first made, it was only a machine. What does conscious mean? asked a young female. It is knowing. The teacher spread her paws wide and displayed the symbol for mind in her colours. Like you know you are alive when you feel the cold wind on your scales. A machine, even a clever one, does without knowing. Are the defence robots the humans left us conscious? asked the oldest hatchling. So many questions, but it is good to ask. <laughs> 
Her scales sat on an odd angle and she smoothed them down. We don't know. They've watched over us for thousands of years. Then why are the robots moving? Zeleta stood. She'd never seen the robots move and now they lumbered towards the central square. The ground tremored under their weight as their targeting scanners pointed skywards. Lasers probed the sky as they searched for incoming. They were the last defense. She grasped her paws together to stop them shaking. A missile could be on its way. Not knowing made her scales itch. The government did not like to alarm the public and the news that filtered through never gave the full picture. The sky lit up for an instant with a blue flash. Streaks of light like shooting stars burned across the darkening sky. A siren wailed in the distance and an adult male raced towards them on four flexible limbs. He waved two front paws. Incoming missiles! Get the hatchlings to the shelters! Come here, my young hatchlings. There's no need to panic, but move quickly, Zeleta said. They stood and lined up alongside her. She knew the route to the closest shelter. What is happening? The smooth movement of the male's limbs flowed as he came closer. A Yazoo raider slipped the line last night. A human battleship is pursuing it towards the planet. You need to get to the shelters now. He raced off to warn another group. A beam of immense power sprang from a robot, lighting up the landscape as if it was day. The beam stopped to be replaced by a flash in the sky that seemed to burn the heavens. Time ticked away. The blast knocked her to the ground and her ears rang. The little ones, she struggled to her feet. They were sprawled on the ground. Help each other, everyone, on your paws. She calmed her scales. We must race to the shelter. Everyone grab the paw of the one next to you. Leave no one behind. The young ones clambered upright so bravely it strummed her soul. A last check around. No time to regain their composure. Let's go as fast as your paws can glide. She led them out of the arena, along a path to the back of the grounds. Around a corner she came to a road. The track leading to the shelter was only a block away. Back up the road, Zin were racing out of the town, some in family groups, others alone. She looked away and hurried her glide. The youngest hatchling slipped, but the young ones on each side had a firm hold. They hauled her up and the hatchling was carried on magic wings, her paws barely touching the ground. Hmm, okay, I'd say you've got a fairly positive reaction there, Peter, from the genius room. Uh, I see Johnny's, Johnny's quite enjoying this. Uh, Carla's idea is nice, says Kate. Very nice writing, says Ancora. Interesting enough to read on. Uh, a lot to like about this. We're straight in the action. Confident prose, says Kate. Interesting world building, says Annie. Writing flows well. Okay, so I think probably Andy is our science fiction go-to guy. What do you think? Go-to science fiction man. That's me. Um, <laughs> I'm not convinced by the title. No. Um, and obviously you had too much going on in your blurb. I, I, I was really thrown by the use of the word spaceman because <laughs> spaceman kind of takes me back to the 1950s. It's very it's David Space Bowie, Man isn't it? Actually? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I was a bit thrown by that. But yeah. look, I think you've got, a, there's a lot of good stuff in this. But, I mean, you're, I, I would check your start. 
because at the start I was a bit like, mm, okay, I'm getting a little bit of mountains in the distance and, and a scaly thing talking to Kitty Winkies. Um, but then, yeah, you brought in this idea of like, uh, tell me a story to give me some backstory. And again, I was like, oh, this could drag on. But then you gave me, you know, drama. All the uh, robots were moving. Yeah. There was action. Yeah. Um, there was actually some really economic description, which I think should be applauded in the way you hmm. write. Hmm. Um, uh, the, the danger there is you've got kind of like stuff like dis display the symbol for mind in her colours. I'd be careful with stuff like that. And again, at the end, when you talked about magic wings, there, there's a danger that if you, do, you don't don't give as much as applaudable, I think your economic description is, if you don't give us a little bit more to, to hang on to, it's going to come across as a bit oblique. So, yeah. I, you know, but I'd say for craft, yeah, you, you've, you've done, well, I've scored you the best um, probably that I've read so far, the scene so far. Um, yeah. I, I like the action. I, there was suspense. I was with you in the drama. I was interested to see what happened next. Good. Excellent. Zen, the Time Vortex Incident. I wrote down here, retro title. And blimey down to the feather, that's pretty much what Lex... See, this is the magic of the genius room. Uh, Lex said more or less the same thing at the same time. He said, uh, it feels like a 90s uh, computer game. Which he, I think he heard to say is not, not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, it does feel quite a retro title. I'm wondering, Emma, if this is anything remotely that you might ever read. Well, do you know what? It's really hmm. funny because as soon as you said sci-fi, I thought, oh, no, yeah. I'm not going to know what to say. Yeah. And actually, we started with a lovely, warm maternal. And I thought, this we is did. me. I actually, yeah. this is my kind of sci-fi. Um, I'm going to bow to Andy on a lot of the sci-fi stuff because I, I, I don't read this genre. So I don't think I've, for a long, 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 long time, I've read any sci-fi. So I, I, I can't talk about if, if any of the tropes are kind of weary. But... Hmm. There was lots I liked. There was a real warmth I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I quite liked the use of the, you know, the kind of that use of the novice to explain the world. You know, the, the, we didn't get an info dump because it was really clever the way they she explained all the stuff to the little kids. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm sitting here and I'm learning too. And I liked that. I thought that was good. And I also thought the characterization was great because when she got hit, I mean, I work, I use, I write dilemma-led emotional fiction and I know that I struggle to get enough of a character that someone's going to like before i hit them with the inciting incident you yeah. know you have to you have to work at that otherwise they don't care what you're throwing at your character but i did actually care when she got knocked over i thought oh no yeah, she's going to be too. hurt so <laughs> i thought that was really that, and actually yeah. that it sounds easy but that's i know how hard that is to do so yeah. i thought she did that really really well and i liked i tell you what i what i would like to if, if i was going to sit with her and edit this I liked the starting with that, but I think I would, uh, towards the end of the chapter, towards the end of this section, you got her pulling out to the whole of society, people packing up in the village and everything. Yeah. I would have used that as a springboard then to pull away from them yeah, and start point. getting the bigger picture. Very good. You point. know, even if that yeah. was the hook at the end and then the next chapter was a bigger picture, I don't know how she wants to structure it, but I thought, oh, yeah, this is great. She's, you know, she's going microcosm and then she's pulling out and we're going to get to see everybody. And then she yeah. kind of went back again. So that would be a small thing. And a tiny thing, which is probably just personal on the title, I don't like the dash. I think no. Zin and the Time Vortex incident would be better. But I do wonder if it does sound a little bit juvenile i don't know the age that this is pitched it at, feels but. it does feel quite middle grade to me actually it doesn't feel yeah. totally adults um i'm, yeah. I'm only i'm gonna be like sort of, 
Yeah, good. I'm going to be a slight voice of dissonance there and say, um, Peter, I just need a bigger idea, really. I need something, you know, that I can sock a publisher with. And I don't feel a big idea is coming out at the moment from the blurb or from the intro. But other than that, you've got some good positive reactions there. Um, Let's see. Uh, Over halfway through now. And in fact, actually, you've got nothing to complain about, Peter, because you are in the lead. You're on number one position. Um, Helena. Amy, Amy to you and me, as number two, number three, there is James. So we have two more, two more submissions to go on today's show. But before we do that, I want to see what on earth Emma is up to. Lots. (laughs) I can, I can see that. Now this is coming out when? Is it October this year? This is, yes, this one's in October. So it's not even, not even, it's in halfway through edits at the moment. Oh my goodness. So yes, this is. Yeah, yeah, so the this gestation is, the next is not finished. <gasps> no, I'm yeah. still, I'm still, you know, it's still a work in progress. I mean, it's, yeah. it's there in body. It's, it's being tweaked. And this is going to be so, your seventh, um, so your yeah. seventh book. And the thing that, that everyone my, says. No, eight. Oh, it's the eighth, is it? Okay, seven published. Eight. This is number eight. So you're really an yes. old pro at this now. So uh, not, yeah. not that old, sorry. Um, <laughs> the thing that uh, is very obvious, if you look at um, uh, all the reviews, wonderful reviews you've got on Amazon. I haven't seen any bad ones, actually. don't know how you well, There are a few, but we won't really? talk about those. I haven't seen them. <laughs> a handful, it, only a handful. <laughs> you jerk the tears. That's what people say. I yeah, mean, some people say, I just couldn't stop crying. I know. And that's, that's, I guess it's a tribute. Is that, is I that hope so. Well, that, yeah, well, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person that likes a good cry. I find it quite cathartic. Yeah. Um, and it's quite surprising, actually, because um, not my last one this year, but um, Husband's Daughter, which came out last year, which has been mm. my biggest book, um, and is still doing crazy good, which is great. Um, mm. That book, I had a review this week, only that said someone that had been going through a really tough time uh, and they had it really yeah, cried and yeah. it made them feel better which yeah, i think you know i think we all like a a lot of us like to have a good cry yeah um and i do think they are they, they are sad but they're not they always end on an uplifting note i would hope so you don't walk away feeling miserable totally depressed no, um, i'm hoping not uh, uh, not not the first dumb question i've asked you but um is your writing just for women I would say, well, to be honest, I assumed all my protagonists are female. I've um, I've never read, I've never written a male protagonist. Um, I would like to. I think I'm just a bit scared to get it wrong. I will, will do one day. But yes, I would say I assume they are. And yet, I've had I've had male reviewers that have said that they've really enjoyed it. I think because they are emotional, but they are also quite twisty in places. Mm. I do have quite a few twists in the tale in a lot of my books. But do you, um, do you, have, do you have male readers? Do you, do you know for a fact yeah, you've got I do, male? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. on Goodreads, I, I shouldn't go and look on Goodreads, but I've had a few male readers that have said, I picked this book up, didn't think it would be my kind of thing, yeah. and actually really enjoyed it. So, yeah. you know, I think yeah. there's, there's a good story there alongside the... Do we need emotion, to stop I using would, the term... I would term, say money. Do we, do we need to stop using the term women's fiction, do you think? Oh, I'm happy to keep using it as long as we also have men's fiction. But no, that, that, I'm joking. Yeah, I think we do need to stop using it because I think why why can't I read why can't I read traditional male books and why can't men read traditional? Uh, yeah, I think we need to start just calling fiction fiction. And I, I, and just, I do understand. I'm going to ask Andy that. Uh, Andy that. <laughs> and Andy, uh, you, you're alive on air now. You, you you can tell us the truth. Have you ever read, <laughs> read any women's fiction? Not to my knowledge. Not to no. your knowledge. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. um, Ken, 
Yeah. You should. Can, you should read mine. Can okay. men write? Mine. Can men write women's can fiction? Can men yeah, write I will, women's I will, fiction? I will. I will. Um, I think Nick Hornby can write women's fiction because yeah. I've just read um, his. I can't for the life of me remember the name of it now. Uh, one of his latest ones, and I would call that women's fiction. Yeah. Mike Gale can write what's traditionally women's fiction. Yeah. So I've just yeah. read All the Lonely People and um, Half a World Away. I would say they definitely come under the banner of women's mm. fiction. Yeah. And, and they can definitely write it. Yeah. And it's it's probably the biggest single genre. I mean, it's not, not just one genre, really. It's lots and lots and lots of uh, collection of genres where the people love together and call women's fiction. Um, but it's it's well worth getting into because it's such a large element of the publishing market. I think it's about 30%, maybe more, more yeah. than 30%. Well, I actually heard, and I wish I could remember the source of this, but I sat in a seminar once and was told that since the advent of Kindle, a lot more men are reading women's fiction because yeah. you can't yeah. see the cover when they're on the train or at the yeah. hotel pool no one can yeah. see the cover and yeah. therefore they'll read it yeah yeah i'm sure that's true um that was true harry potter actually interestingly so yeah, uh, yeah. Basic, basic advice for somebody who wants to break into this area read it i think any genre that you want to read so read a lot of it mm. um i would say um think both about the plot that you're writing but also what are you really writing about you know th really think about your theme yeah. um and on yeah. what it is, what, you, what your message is and what you want to get across. Because people want to go away having, I don't mm. know, grown as a person. Is that too dramatic? You know, you want to go no. away having considered something you've never considered yeah. before. Yeah, so, you absolutely. Know, you know, what would yeah. I do in that situation? What yeah. would I do? Yeah. Um, and that's what I think... That you is know, the point very... of books. I mean, that's yeah. what books do. I mean, they, you know, the, the very least we do is provide entertainment, but sometimes we actually help people change their lives for the better. Yeah. It's pretty humbling, yeah. actually. I know you also teach um, in the best of all possible worlds, if I could uh, wave my, uh, my magic wand, which I have been known to do once or twice. Um, would you like to be writing, doing this full time? Or do you think writers <laughs> actually really need to be doing something else? It's, re it's really interesting because I've just got to the point now where I could, so financially now, mm. I could make the change to full-time writer. Mm. Um, and I said I probably would, but now it's here. I mm. don't really want to. I think it's been, I think this year particularly is the wrong year for anybody to making any big life decisions yeah. um, because it's just been bonkers. Yeah. Um, I think I, knew, I, I did notice during lockdown how hard it was actually to become, to be creative because yeah. I've, I'm quite extrovert by nature and I actually feed off you know, not in a horrible way but feed off other people a lot and being with people and mm. and because I teach teenagers, you know, they, they give yeah. you a lot of energy, they totally really do, do. so totally do. I don't yeah. know, it's a short answer I think yeah. I would like to downsize my job a bit but maybe still keep a a toe in the water. There is an argument of saying that writers actually do need to have more regular contact with the real world because writing is not yeah. the healthiest of jobs and, you know, in front of that computer, no. what, six hours a day, maybe, maybe a bit more if you can do it, but, you know, yeah. your brain gets a bit tired after four, five, six hours. There is an argument to say that actually you should have some dealings with, you know, with, with the, the normal world as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But I also yeah. think things like dialogue, how do you write dialogue if you're not listening to people speak? Good point. Good point. To save my child, it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon, being edited even as we speak. You uh, bung Emma 500 quid and your, your name will be on the book. <laughs> That's not true. But, <laughs> but a nice idea, a sponsored book. Yeah. Uh, we've, got two more, we've got two more submissions to have a look at. This is number four today. What an interesting title. The Fading Evergreen. Oh, it's YA. 
It's from David Lynch. <laughs> Nothing. Much speculation about that. This is exactly the sort of thing that I would expect David Lynch to do. So uh, I'll be very interested to read David Lynch's uh, biography in just a moment. But right now I'm going to read you the blurb. Through genetic advancement, Dr. Blake creates a world whereby humankind have achieved immortality. A thousand years on, the eternal paradise is losing its appeal. John is one such immortal individual whose failed marriage has rendered him yearning for the end. He's a member of the Alliance, a secret rebel group trying to restore the natural order. The Haven is a school where children are created and moulded to fit the outer world. Kalen breaks free of the Haven and joins the Alliance. And now we find out about you, David. Um, my name is David Lynch. I'm a 25-year-old doctor. All right, OK. Not a 70-something uh, uh, surrealist filmmaker. Fair enough. It's just the sort of thing the other Lynch would do. They send a submission to us. And aspiring novelist from Dublin, Ireland. I've always wanted to be a writer, but decided to become a doctor first to save my parents' health. Oh, very noble. Um, honestly, if I could succeed in writing, I would put down the stethoscope and pick up a pen. Just what we're talking about, actually. Uh, with, Emma, um, with Emma. I came up with this idea last year and began writing between COVID shifts. My tired delirium allowed my imagination to flourish. COVID dreams, eh? I took four months off, off work, since July to finish my manuscript. Great. Much, much looking forward to this, particularly so because it's a reading from Ali. Fading Evergreen by David Redvarnison August the 2nd, 2094 Chapter 1. Golden Jeans Dr. Emily Blake had decided to wait until the evening to speak to the world. The harsh afternoon summer sun would only drown her in bleached brightness. This was not the time for such a sanitised broadcast. Emily wished to appear warm, almost motherly, smiling softly in the amber air as the sun retired. Every detail needed to be considered and had been meticulously designed. This broadcast would be played forever. The only thing left late was the choice of location. Thankfully, the President had been very accommodating, offering the White House on such short notice. Dr. Blake, whenever you're ready, mouthed a faceless blur. She drew a long, deep breath and held it, willing her heart to slow. Game time. Go change the world. Emily knocked on the inside of the double doors, as she was instructed. She heard a muffled countdown begin on the other side of the old wood. Four, three, two, one. The doors swiftly parted. Contrarily, Emily's eyes narrowed, adjusting to the giant hovering lights illuminating the podium. So much for motherly. On the first strike of her heel, the reporters started to blink furiously, taking their retinal photographs. Emily could never get used to them. They looked rather amusing, like a bunch of confused infants. At least the broadcast was being recorded traditionally, even if the camera was unmanned. Dr. Blake stood tall at the podium. She looked beautiful despite the corpsing lights, tall and elegant, with an unerring femininity, captioned by crown-like golden hair. She wore a shimmering blue dress and white heels, complemented by silver helical earrings and a simple chained necklace hundreds of small figure-eights overlapping. 
After a formal pause, Emily clicked the button behind the podium, and a speech appeared instantly in front of her via her contact lenses. Good evening, America, and good morning, afternoon, and night to the rest of the world. My name is Dr. Emily Blake. If you're not already aware, I am the director of the Genome Project, which is currently based here in DC. We are a multinational team of geneticists working diligently to build a better us for a better future. The project has been running for over a century in an attempt to climb the molecular genetic staircase to realize human potential. The media crowd was beginning to murmur impatiently, you're losing them. Emily blinked twice in quick succession to scroll past her speech's boring adulations. I'll thank them another time. Today I stand here before you to announce an incredible discovery. For millennia, mankind has struggled with disease, disability, age-related deterioration, and eventually the certainty of death. No longer. The mumbling crescendo was beginning to quicken. The science of what I'm about to say is absolute. This is not a hoax. This is no exaggeration. By gaining complete control of cellular regeneration, we have eradicated all disease, all disability, and now death itself. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now immortal. A reverent hush settled over the small crowd. The blinking reporters turned left and right like startled meerkats. A brave meerkat raised its paw. What do you mean? It squeaked. Dr. Blake smiled with a regrettable air of condescension. We can now freeze and even somewhat reverse the aging process. As we speak, thousands of centers are being set up all over the world. Once you are 21 or older, you are eligible. We have reached the final frontier of our evolution. Emily raised her palms towards the sky, with her pointed elbows tethered to the podium. Welcome to heaven on earth. April the 20th, 3094, Chapter 2, Trade Time. Kaelin Saw was a small boy for 14. However, this never bothered him, knowing he'd be over six feet by 21. I may as well enjoy the extra room in bed while I have it. Kaelin tapped his left wrist twice to stop his alarm. He then staggered into his dress tube with weary eyes, holding his arms out. Cloth nanofibers began to climb up his legs, quickly forming a fitted jumpsuit. Kaelin hated his new black uniform. It looked too mature with its pretentious grey streaks and crisp white collar. It clashed horribly with Kaelin's messy silver hair. He looked like a raccoon. Today was Kaelin's first day in trade school. His excitement was met with cautious apprehension. Most of his friends had not scored highly enough in the exams to be assigned to his trade, but they would still share many regular classes, so it wasn't all bad. Come on, move your little legs. Don't be late. Thank you, Ali. Great reading as always. Um, let's take a little dipstick uh, now into the uh, the genius room. Um, and now I don't want to update Windows. Thank you. Oh, why? I mean, is Windows 11 going to be as bad as this? Really? I mean, come on, please. Um, chapter one is rather info dumpy, says Hannah. Too much info, same things, Vagabond Heart. Good title, competent writing, says Johnny. Not particularly engaged. Encore again, some nice writing here, engaging. I'm interested in this story. Peter says, prose is okay, but it seems like the story hasn't started. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Um, why has he got boring bits, says Vagabond. <laughs> I don't think that was intentional, Vagabond. I think writers tend to want to take the boring bits out. They don't always know what they are, though. Um, 
and he says based on the blurb i'm guessing this must be a prologue but it's good and um vagabond says something else as well gets so bored of male writers needing to describe the women guilty as charged emma well i like the writing i did really enjoy the writing i liked it i liked the kind of slide of um you know into kind of back and forth really between yeah. when she was thinking sorry my brain's not working um yeah so i really liked the writing i thought i had a nice pace I had great characterization i really liked it but i don't really know whether it works the first chapter in as much as it mm-hmm. only it kind of goes back and tells us what we already know from the blurb yeah so i don't think it's really yeah. adding to the story and i I wonder if it's going to be a bit of a case of once you've read the story, you need to probably chop that chapter off. Much as I do yeah. think it's really nicely written, I did it did intrigue me. I thought that, I liked the title, Fading Evergreen. I like the oh, oxymoron I love the title. there. I thought that was yeah. clever. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really clever. Yeah. Um, and I liked a lot of the writing. I, I like the. I was speaking earlier to the first person about rhythm in writing, and mm. I think she had it in spades i think that that triplet of we uh, it was it disease and disability and now death you know i think it had a really nice boom 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 it had a really nice rhythm to the writing so she can clearly mm-hmm. clearly write so mm-hmm. i think i would read on from the point of view of i enjoyed the writing however plot wise i wonder if she may find once she's written the whole book that this chapter has to go yeah. because yeah. we need to get we need to get to the boy yeah we do we do we do um interesting idea andy i was just reading only today popular mechanics magazine uh, online at least and it's it's I, well i do sometimes actually uh back in back in the day popular mechanics was i mean it's still quite quite a big magazine stateside but it was it was just huge and it would regularly serialize books um and if you got a serialization and uh, popular mechanics you were made really as an author um and they've got they've got a big feature about this fantastic say what i bet the centerfold's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) a a little bit technical (laughs) (laughs) explainer diagrams wow yes um the thing is that this is a future that's rapidly approaching and popular mechanics is saying that it's like the future is here now actually there's going to raise so many interesting issues that maybe we're even a bit late writing about what do you think uh yeah i think i think that the plot itself is it's it's a familiar one but it's it's slap bang in my comfort zone so um you know i was excited to read it i think it's a great title totally agree yeah i was a bit well you know your name is david lynch so you should be very happy with that i was a bit phone because david lynch is a bit of a hero and you know i loved him back in the day i was quite i was quite dismayed when uh, when Pete said he was in his 70s that made Uh me feel ridiculously old um but still moving quick oh and then and then there's the new strum the new pop-up strum and we go into the reading which again i thought was incredibly david lynch that was it is (laughs) (laughs) well that's a bit experimental at the moment it may not be here next week let's see it's a chord of e minor i believe (laughs) it works for twin peaks i'm not sure (laughs) yes Um, but no seriously you had a really nice opening you had very confident writing there was a lot of nice lines in there um lots of love the 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 wrestling photographs again you know which it's it's just it's a lovely idea yes we've probably seen it before but you did it really well you did it really simply and of Mm. course yeah they're they're blinking and being a journalist i I just thought that was that was brilliant and i love that um there there was a change of pov well for me that's how it came across me when you start 
she, she, her name was Emily, I think, Dr. Emily Blake. Yeah. And then it was suddenly Dr. Emily Blake looked great. And, and that, that, that brought us out unnecessarily. And, and then, you know, understandably, you're getting a few criticisms in the genius room about, uh, you know, men describing women. Obviously, she's got to be beautiful. Um, oh, yeah. Well, well, I yeah, you, you might want to kind of reconsider that. I'd, I'd say oh. a little bit. Um, um, that's that's a cliche, and the I I I think the whole sort of podium thing, you know, um, you know ladies and gentlemen uh, of the United States, uh, we've got this. I mean, it's just it's such a cliche. It's a trope. It's just not original. I don't like starting like that. I do. It's I, a I think, cliche, but I think you did it well. Pete oh, is going okay. to get on you right. any moment now about this really being a prologue, anyway. So, no, I'm so not. <laughs> Are you not? I'm no, no. I'm just I think I'm old crotchety sod. Um, I don't. I don't like the podium start. I don't like the way that we don't really. I don't know. I, well, there's nobody to anchor to uh, identify with initially. I think the thing for me, David, would be. Um, this is this is this is now basically. It's really really close to happening. You're, you're playing around with some huge ideas here, and things that I've I, 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 maybe people have already written in this area. I'd have to research that actually. I don't I don't actually know, but it's a huge. Look look at we've got Bezos, we've got Musk, we've got Branson, all buggering off into space at the moment, leaving us poor plebs behind to sort out their problems. So it's going to be the same thing, isn't it? It's going to be the same thing. They are going to be the people who who become immortal first, leaving the likes of you and me behind. Um, what's that going to do? It's going to create insurrection and rebellions. And there was a, there was a time in Chinese history, I understand cultural history, for about five hundred years when things basically just stood still. Nothing happened. Um, the pottery, you know, from one decade, one century was the same as pottery the next decade. And maybe that's what's going to happen to us now. Maybe that's te what technology is going to do. Technology changes almost every week. It's had an extraordinary revolutionary impact on the publishing business. Maybe the ultimate um, end of technology is total stasis. Nothing ever changes. In which case, what 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 impact does that have on our society? Lots of big ideas to explore i just want to hint that you're going to go there um but i do i do think it's got potential um but i i think you know i agree with the the genius room that it's probably not the right place to start and damn it maybe maybe it is even a, a prologue um <laughs> let's just look at andy's vote on that you love the title you're not too bad on the blurb but you like the craft a lot and you think it's got it's got six out of ten yeah, commercial potential. Is this a book you'd buy? Yeah, out of all the ones tonight, I'd say yes. That's it's more, yeah, right. more, more like the book I'd read, yeah. That's a, that's a good enough endorsement for me. Let's move on rapidly to our final submission of the day. Oh, look, another interesting title. The Raven Wing of Night. That's poetical, isn't it? The Raven Wing of Night. Middle grade, fantastical medieval adventure. It's from Brian. Let me read you Brian's blurb. When Beck, a 14-year-old medieval slave, is sentenced to be branded, he breaks out of prison and embarks on a desperate journey to the border with his master on his tail. He runs into Tino, a 15-year-old Asian acrobat and kung fu ace who's lost his father in a mysterious accident. Beck steals his money and Tino gives chase, triggering a series of, of wild mishaps. Forced to become partners, they voyage across a perilous landscape, 
finding friendship and madcap adventure on their way to freedom. I love the title too, Ancora. Uh, I'll tell you about uh, Brian. Born in Montreal, my first real job was teaching refugees in Tanzania, where I ultimately spent six years. Uh, before completing a doctorate in law at Oxford University. My appetite for adventure was whetted by hitchhiking all over East and Central Africa. I bet you've got some stories to tell. And more recently, um, has launched me on a hike from Canterbury to Rome. A martial arts enthusiast, I hold a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. I'm a big fan of classic adventure stories like Stevenson's Kidnapped and Michelle Paver's Chronicles of Ancient Darkness. That's the right button to push for me. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, this is my first work of fiction, although I have sundry academic publications as a law professor. In 2020, the Raven Wing of Night won first prize in the Canadian Writing for Children competition middle grade division. That sounds very good. What's going to sound even better is a reading by Lex. The Raven Wing of Night by Brian Slattery, read by Lex. The branding iron hissed and spat in the burning coals, giving off angry wisps of smoke. The blacksmith pulled out the iron and held it up, hot, but not hot enough. He tapped the iron against the side of the forge, knocking off bits of blackened crust, then slid it back into the fire. Not ready yet? The blacksmith glanced at the lean man lounging in the doorway. No, my lord. Looks fine to me. How hot does it have to get? White hot, my lord. But why? He's just a boy. Tender skin. If it's not hot enough, my lord, the branding will take too long. Malaspina smiled, showing small white teeth. The longer, the better. Let him feel it. But it has to be quick, my lord. Otherwise, you'll thrash around and spoil the brand. Malaspina's smile vanished. He stared at the blacksmith, the flames from the forge flickering in his eyes. All right, he said softly. Have it your way. Just make sure it hurts. The blacksmith dropped his gaze. Yes, my lord. He gave a sharp word to the man working the bellows and waited as the forge rose to a steady roar. Why did Malaspina make him do this? Why not get one of his thugs? God knows there were enough of them hanging about. A blacksmith's job was armor, swords, horseshoes, not branding slaves. The thought of the boy's skin blistering under the scorching iron made him feel sick. Beck was a good enough lad, a bit cocky, a bit of a mouth. What else could you expect of a 14-year-old? The blacksmith took another look at the branding iron, now an incandescent white. Ready, my lord. And about time, Malaspina said. I'll get the boy myself. He left the smithy and limped across the courtyard, leaning on his cane. The yard was full of people summoned for the branding. Servants, field hands, slaves. They stopped talking as he passed, staring sullenly at him. Suddenly he found himself surrounded by people, hemming him in, blocking his path. Malaspina raised his cane, and the people backed away. He reached the doorway leading up to the guardroom and started climbing the spiral staircase. The blonde boy balanced on the window sill, leaning out sideways, one hand gripping the frame. Far below, dark shoals of sewage drifted in the moat where the privies emptied. The water was shallow, just a few feet deep, not enough to break his fall. It would be crazy to jump. Beck looked upward, studying the wall that rose above him to the battlements. The castle was built of field stones, fitted roughly together. In places, the mortar had crumbled away, leaving a network of cracks and crevices where the swallows flitted in and out. He wondered if he could climb all the way up. 
there was a ledge at the top of the window projecting outward. A good place to start. From there, his eye picked out a series of gaps that formed an irregular pathway up toward the battlements. He was a pretty good climber, but he'd never done anything like this before. If he slipped and fell, he'd end up dead. He bit his lip, remembering a branding he'd witnessed last winter. An old slave who had shrieked and struggled as they pinned him down. The smell of burning flesh still gave him nightmares. Beck swallowed hard. He had to do this. He reached up and gripped the ledge above the window, trying to angle his knee up. But the ledge was too high. He looked around and spotted a gap in the stone blocks framing the window. Wedging his bare foot into the gap, he grasped the opposite side of the frame and pushed himself upward. His knee found the ledge. He teetered there, grimacing as the rough stone cut into his skin. A gust of wind caught his ragged tunic and almost dragged him off balance. He clung to the wall, breathing hard, then hoisted himself into a standing position on the ledge. Behind him, he could sense a vast open space, billowing out across the moat and down into the river valley. He felt it suck at his body, tugging at his limbs. Oh, so, oh I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Just, I pressed the wrong button. It happens. It's live. Cocks can make cock-ups. Um, so... <laughs> Look, it's a cocktail. <laughs> let's see. Let's see what the genius room is. Genius room is always right and never wrong. I, I'm frequently wrong, but they they are not. Uh, John, nice writing. Kate, immediate suspense. Strong hooks. Malaspina says Kate. Maybe something simple might be easy. It might be actually. Ancora, very strong writing. Straight in story. Now we're in the main character. All great. And in great opening. Um, love how it shifts point of view. Arresting opening. Um, it doesn't read like romantic anything says Kai. No, it doesn't. it doesn't. Is this supposed to be romantic? No, it's not. It's a fantastical medieval adventure. Um, beginning takes no presence, says Kai. And Peter says, good prose, but kind of a boring premise. Ha! Ah, now that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Let me digest that while we, we get Emma's thoughts. I loved it. I really, really liked this a lot. Um, I thought we were straight into the action. We were straight into the sense of danger, both in terms of the pain of the branding, the nastiness of Malaspina, the hmm. danger that the, the boy would rather throw himself out the window than, you know, I thought we were we were really into it very, very quickly, which I really, really liked. Um, I, I thought the writing was really good for, for the grade that it's written for. Um, there's not a huge amount of description, but I don't, I didn't really miss it. I think there was enough adjective use of of the brand and everything, I think, to carry me into the scene. I think I, I was there. I'd like a little bit more world building at some yeah. stage. I want to yeah. see the world that I'm in. Um, but I think I'm happy to wait for that because at the mm. moment I'm getting a lot of action, which is great. So I'm, you know, I would keep reading for that. Um, in terms of the blurb, I think Kate said something. I just saw her, her comment. Um, I, I liked the blurb. I really liked it. But I totally agree with her that I'm, what's different about this, like when the two of them get together and, you know, mm. you what's the end goal what, mm. he's on this journey what is the end result what is he aiming for what does he need what does he want you know all the classic questions yeah, exactly. to ask a character so right. i think i really like it i think it's got huge potential um a little bit more world building later on i love i love this opening uh but yeah in terms of the blurb just tell me wh where are we going what, what are we rooting mm. for here he's not just what, escaping yeah. where is he going 
again, it's what Pedro's saying in the in the genius room. Good prize, but kind of a boring premise. Yeah, we we don't know what what the aim is here. There's got to be some some sort of aim. Um, I haven't got anything really very negative to say about this at all. I think maybe maybe uh, Brian the the action might slow down a little bit on the rooftop. Slightly too much detail. Really wanted to take off at that point. Of course, I don't know what you thought there, Andy. Um, I like the title very much. Hmm. Um, any any blurb that's got the words Kung Fu Ace in it is, is gets a double thumbs up from me because you know who doesn't want to read about Kung Fu Ace and good timing as well because I think the new Marvel film well there's always hundreds of new Marvel films there's always a new one yeah one of the new ones is, is a Kung Fu Ace so yeah get in there quick um, I thought you had a really nice opening I agree with what Emma says there um, your your Malaspina uh, character was coming across so malevolently dastardly I could almost imagine him kind of you know twirling his moustache exactly yes, <laughs> really causing some real pain <laughs> uh, where, where I, I, I lost a little bit of my enthusiasm is that I wanted the kid to be in there basically waiting to be branded so I was hmm. seeing this through his POV yeah. but then we were in the um, the blacksmith's POV which, yeah. which, which made certain sense in that you built the blacksmith's character up but by the time we got to the, your protagonist's POV I was, I was then in, getting a description of the castle um, so consequently I found him quite an empty character mm. and I, you know, compared to the good characterization I was getting the very good characterization in fairness that I was getting at the start and I totally get you know, I think to a certain extent, some protagonists can and need to be empty because we kind of invest ourselves into them. But mm. I could have done with just a little bit of character, more characterization yeah. for him, so I yeah. could identify with him that little bit more as we yeah. go on the adventure. Because I was a little bit disappointed, frankly, that he wasn't waiting to be branded and then did this fantastic yes. escape in the stable where he's getting branded. So yeah, 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 yeah. a bit of misdramatic potential. Though. I totally agree with that. Uh, the narration was excellent, by the way, Lex. <laughs> he's 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 wondering if he was good enough. It was more than good enough. Come on, for heaven's sake! Yeah, it's brilliant narration. Thank you very much, Lex. Because Lex is is new to our team. He's very needy, isn't he? He needs a lot of approval. He does. He, 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 he needs those strokes. Lex, man who's yeah. in darkness. He does. Um, he's the he does he's got a, he's a sensitive soul as Lex and who isn't if they're a writer they should be sensitive um yeah so I um, what else do I have to say about that um I, I'm interested to know Brian how magic focuses on this at all um if it comes into a knot you haven't said explicitly whether it does or doesn't um and you mentioned Michelle Pover so I'll just a slight sidebar about that um we uh, we, we had a very long discussion about that right at the beginning of the Chronicles of Ancient Darkness on decided actually to leave it very ambivalent in the reader's mind Mag magic definitely happens in the book but is it real magic or is it just you know the arthur c clark quote that i can never quite remember about technology being sufficiently far advanced to be indistinguishable from magic uh, so it's always like that it's it's you know it could be interpreted as magic it could be interpreted as another so i'm interested to know about the dynamics of the world and how, how that works um but other than that i think we're looking good with the raven wing of night let's see now how the final score is looking and there's still time of course for people in the um in the genius room to vote up down sideways inside out um it'll all be taken into account and i have to say that you are just one percent away actually brian from our month's 
uh, winners so far. You've got a very, very impressive 70%. David, 63. Um, it's actually direct reverse order there, isn't it? In fact, yeah. Uh, Peter, 59. Elena, 52. And James, 45. All that means is by way of saying that you, <laughs> Brian... <laughs> Congratulations, Brian. And thank you, everyone, in the uh, the Genius Room today. Thank you very much. Our wonderful special guests from Essex, indeed. Not Blur, even better than Blur. Yeah, it's been Emma and it's been Andy. And we've been pop-up submissions. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. And even more, hopefully, you'll be with us same time next week.